Radio. Approaching Prayer, a talk by Jess Leach at the Immaculata Mission School 2014, held at the Sacred Heart Retreat Centre in Croydon, Melbourne. Before I start, I just want to say I'm just going to share some thoughts with you. I, I think we've got to understand there's no such thing as being a prayer expert. You know, nobody gets up and tells you X, Y, Z, and all of a sudden, boom, you're the perfect prayer. Not at all. Uh, Because Jesus says, unless you become like little children, you will not enter my kingdom. So a little child doesn't know everything. A little child needs help. A little child calls on their dad, on their mom. We call on the Father. We call on Our Lady to show us how to pray. Christ teaches us how to pray, but we, we don't have all the answers. I certainly don't have all the answers. In fact, the more I pray, the more I feel like I don't know how to pray. The more I feel like prayer isn't something that has a formula or prayer isn't something that I just know how to do it and I've got it ticked off for the rest of my life. But I do want to share some thoughts, some things to get the juices flowing. And I wanted to start um, with the Gospel of John and it was, really, uh, it was really beautiful the way when Sister Mary Emanuel talked about the liturgy, she talked about it being where God's thirst for us meets our thirst for God. And this example of the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well in the Gospel of John. And there's some extremely, uh, I think, powerful things in here for prayer itself. And I think one thing to keep in mind And this is not something that we have to remember every time we pray, like, oh, I've really got to make sure my prayer is oriented towards the Mass. It's not something we have to be constantly telling ourselves, but that's actually what prayer is. Prayer orients us towards the Mass because that's the highest point of our Christian life. So it's not as if we have to sort of repeat that as a little mantra or, or feel worried if we're not thinking about the Mass when we're praying. It's not that at all. But it can help to understand that it leads us on that river, that river that is the Holy Spirit, into the heart of Christ in the Eucharist. So that's why as much as this this gospel reading is applicable to the liturgy, it's just as applicable to the way that we pray and to the way that we encounter Christ in our prayer, whatever form our prayer might be taking. So it's in chapter 4, and we'll just read a little bit of their encounter. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, 
but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. The water that I shall give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and he whom you have now is not your husband. This you said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such the Father seeks to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will show us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And the question that I ask myself, and I think the question we have to ask ourselves is, in what way am I the Samaritan woman? In what way am I encountering Christ at my own well, at my own thirstiness, in the middle hour of the day when no one else is around, in my own loneliness? In what way am I encountering him there? And what is it really saying? What is it really saying to me about my thirst, my loneliness, my need for him? And I want to share something with you. It's a a little bit of a meditation upon what this what this might mean. And I think it has beautiful implications for what it means for us to receive the gift of prayer. So perhaps we can instead imagine that the woman had said this, that she'd said, I'm a woman of no distinction, of little importance. I'm a woman of no reputation, save that which is bad. You whisper as I pass by and cut judgmental glances, but you don't take the time to really look at me or even get to know me. For to be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known. And otherwise, what's the point of doing either one of them in the first place? And then maybe she would have said that, I want to be known. I want someone to look at me and not just see a nose, a mouth, two eyes, two ears, but all that I am and could be, all my loves, hopes and fears. But for me, that's too much to hope for, to wish for or to pray for. So I don't, not anymore. Instead, I'm going to keep to this pain, my own private jail, the pain that brought me here at midday to this well. And she might have known that to ask for a drink was no big request, but to ask it of me, a woman unclean, ashamed, used and abused, an outcast, a failure, a disappointment, a sinner, 
No drink passing from my hands to your lips could ever be refreshing, only condemning, as I'm sure you condemn me now. But you don't. You're a man of no distinction, though of the utmost importance, a man with little reputation, at least so far. You whisper and tell me to my face what all those glances have been about, and you take the time to really look at me, but don't need to get to know me. For to be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known, and you know me. You actually know me. Everything about me, every thought inside and hair on top of my head, every hurt stored up, every hope, every dread, my past and my future, all I am and could be, you tell me everything. You tell me about me. And that, if it was spoken by another, would bring hate and condemnation. Coming from you brings love, mercy, grace and salvation. I've heard of one to come who would save a wretch like me and here in my presence you say, I am he. To be known is to be loved and to be loved is to be known. And I just met you, but I love you. I don't know you, but I want to get to. Let me run back into town. This is way too big for just me. There are others, brothers, sisters, lovers, haters, sinners and saints, the good and the bad, who should hear what you told me, who should see what you've shown me, who should taste what you gave me, who should feel how you forgave me. For to be known is to be loved and to be loved is to be known and they all need this too. We all do need it for our own. I think the Samaritan woman shows us that what we crave is the discovery that God knows us completely and totally and loves us completely and totally. And this is why the scriptures, this is why the gospels, this is why Christ in his word is so important because we see there that he, he knows that the Samaritan woman has had all those men, that she's lonely, that she's an outcast and still he loves her. He knew every situation. He knew that the woman with the hemorrhage had been like that for 12 years and was desperate and he loved her and knew her in that situation. He knew the, withered, the man with the withered hand. He knew the blind man. He knew the lepers. He knew Peter. He knew Peter when Peter said, I'm a sinful man, depart from me. But he loved him. He knew them and he loved them. And that's what he does to each of us. And that's what he wants us to discover in a lifetime of prayer. That's why you can't tick boxes. That's why you can't say, oh, I've got prayer figured out. Because we will never, you know, we will never be able to say, I completely understand God's knowledge of me and love for me. The end. It's, it, it's a constant journey because his love for us is infinite. So it's, it's constant. And if we root it entirely in the fact that God has this gift, this gift of his knowledge for our, of us and his love for us, and it's so important that those, it's those two things because sometimes when we know ourselves, we don't like ourselves, let alone love ourselves. 
So it's the most radical proposition that he who is perfect, all good, all love, who created the world, that he who, if he stopped thinking about something, it would cease to exist, that he knows everything about us and loves us and wants us to discover that. And so that call to experience knowledge and love, I mean, that's going to happen for everybody so differently. And it's going to happen through the many different types of prayer that we have in the church. And I certainly can't you know, share about them all or, or know what happens in your heart when the Lord tries to tell you that he knows you and he loves you. But when I prayed about this, he, um, I really felt there were a few things, a few things that we can think about, we can meditate on maybe, just to open that door to experiencing that knowledge and that total love. And the first is that realising that it's a gift, that it's been given to us. It's not something that we have to do. You know, I don't have to, to do anything in order to, A, earn his knowledge and the love, that knowledge that he has of us and that love he has for us, but also I don't have to do anything in the sense of what prayer is and building that relationship in the external way that we might sometimes understand it. I have to receive it because it's a gift. And if something's a gift, one of the most important graces we can have to receive is the grace of humility. To say, it's coming from the Lord, it's not coming from me. That grace of humility. And St. Augustine said, before God, we're all beggars. If we don't know that we're hungry for his love, if we don't know that we're hungry for that experience of him knowing us intimately, well, we are. We just don't know it yet. You know, I, you know, I said that I, I didn't need God. I thought I didn't need God. Whoa, what a rude shock to the system when you discover that, when I discovered that, in fact, like nothing, nothing that I could possibly ever grasp had any comparison to the love of God. But in a way, prayer is just discovering more and more that we need him. You know, more and more. The, Catherine of Siena said, the more I seek you, the more I find you. The more I find you, the more I seek you. So it's like we taste something and we become more and more hungry for that experience, but we have to realise that we're not the ones inventing the food. We're not the chefs. God is the one feeding us. God is the one giving us the gift of prayer. I also think that um, one thing about praying in humility is it can bring a sense of awe at God. And it's so, it's so easy to, to lose this sense of awe because, or to, for it to be diluted, I guess, because I don't know about you, but uh, it's easy for me to place a lot of things up very high as a priority in my life. And they're not always material things either. They're, say, the opinions of others or um, perfection, you know, not making any mistakes. And in, in a strange way, when these things are so important to me, because they, they become, in a way, little gods, you know? They become, in a way, little, little deities that I'm directing all my attention and my energy towards, you know, my energy. This energy is going towards not making any mistakes 
this energy is going towards, is this person not going to be angry with me or whatever it might be. And my energy is going towards these things or maybe sometimes my energy might be going towards material things or towards you know, pleasure for pleasure's sake or whatever it might be. These things that can take a hold of us in our lives. And the Lord wants to restore in us a sense of awe at who he is because that gives us a sense of awe of who we are as well. That makes us go, oh my goodness, if, that's, if my mind is being blown by God, how much more then is my mind going to be blown at who I am and at who Raphael is and at who you know, everyone is? It's, it's extraordinary if we consider who God is and what that means for us as children of God. That is, that is awe. And so in humility, prayer can grow in us this sense of awe, to ponder God in our hearts like Our Lady. So there's always something happening, even when we're praying the rosary, when we're praying out loud, even when we're praying a rote prayer, something deeper in our hearts is, is being called to contemplate the awesomeness of whatever mystery that is. And that's why, you know, it's not... Uh, I don't know if you've, you might not have prayed the rosary much before you came here, or maybe you have. I don't know. Um, I, only, yeah, I, I only really started praying the rosary five years ago. And um, when I came to Immaculata, and there, there was all these um, meditations before every decade, and I loved it straight away. It was beautiful. It really helped me to pray. And then I read, uh, and I don't remember the name of the letter, but it's a document by Pope Paul VI on the rosary and on Our Lady. And he talked about how to pray the rosary. And he said in this document, I'm I'm reading this a year ago or six months ago, and he's saying that the rosary should be prayed in a way that is meditative so that we can really reflect and ponder on the mysteries. And I was like, oh, that's fantastic. That's why I love praying the rosary that way because, because it is meant to be drawing us into the mysteries, because it is meant to be giving us a sense of awe and wonder at God who became man and who lived this life, you know, on earth, his, his ministry and his mission, and then died and was resurrected for our sake. So this, this gift of awe in prayer. Another um, thing that I want to mention in regards to awe is, is Eucharistic adoration. To kneel at his feet. Now, there's something extremely humble about bowing down before the monstrance, saying, I'm not God, actually you know, announcing in a silent way to the world, you know what, I don't worship myself, or at least I'm trying not to worship myself. That one, the one on the altar, that's who I'm worshipping. That's who I bow down at. Um, I think it was Blessed John Paul II who said that in the act of adoration, the church performs a witness to the world by saying, we bow down before God. And so that act of saying, I'm going to kneel before you, Lord. I'm going to give you my time. I'm not going to put my time above your time. I'm going to give you my time. You know, is a great act of a great act of humility, but a great grace to grow in us awe, or God who would make Himself so small and so always available for us, so always ready for us to enter into His presence. And then, with humility, has to go hand in hand the awesomeness that we are children of God. 
that when we pray, we are praying to a loving Father. And Jesus says, he says, ask and you will receive, knock and the door will be opened, seek and you will find. He promises that the Father is listening to us. And when we think about the way that Jesus prayed, it was always his relationship with the Father, always him in communication with the Father. But then what's beautiful is that when he teaches his disciples how to pray, he doesn't, he doesn't do a lot. You know, it's pretty simple, really. I mean, you've got the Messiah, you've got God there, and you ask him how to pray, and he only gives you a few lines. Those lines must be pretty important. And they start with the words, our Father. So to pray with this sense of, I'm praying to my Father. I have a freedom because of this. You know, God is not, God is not distant. God is not cold. I think, you know, I remember you see sometimes um, those uh, posters that say, God can't do everything, that's why he invented mothers. It's the most ridiculous, I make, whenever every time I see that, I think to myself, I'd like to just rip that up and take it away because it's not true. And I, I really, it upsets me because I lived for so long thinking that way, thinking, you know, um, there's all these starving people in the world, so I probably shouldn't take up any of God's time, you know, because he's, he's pretty busy. You know, and this sort of thinking, this very, very flawed thinking, when we don't understand properly, you know, the, the, the true nature, the teachings of the church about who God is, it can really lead us astray in prayer. So we have to be found in that sense of, number one, God is God and I'm not God, that humility. And number two, even though I'm not God, God is my Father and he's calling me to sanctification in heaven. That's incredible. That should really inform the way that I pray. It should give me this, this grace of trust, of providence. Trust in the providence of God, that he is my father, he's my provider. That we can, we really can ask of him. I remember my brother telling me that he was in France and he met a parish priest who had really felt this call from the Lord to redo his parish, like to, to do many different things to it, to make it more missionary. And it's particularly, he was in a very poor place, to make it more missionary to the poor. And he had just prayed and received donations. And he had received 36 million euros. 36 million euros. And my brother said to him, wow, that's a lot of money. And this priest went, not to God. So, I, you know, the providence of God, that he wants to provide, that he wants to show us that he is in control, that he can handle it that there's nothing too big or too small that we can't hand over to his hands. And also that there's nothing, that that idea that he knows us is so important because it means there's nothing hidden from him. That we were made, we were made by and for the Trinity. Nothing is hidden from God. Nothing's hidden. And sometimes when we pray, it's, I know for myself, sometimes when I pray, it's so easy for me to say, oh, your will be done, Lord, or, you know, I try, I'm trying to surrender this or whatever it might be, but I don't really voice what's deeply in my heart because I'm trying to do the right thing, <laughs> you know? I'm trying to tick those boxes. 
Whereas the Lord wants to have a dialogue with me. He wants me to really be authentic about what's going on, about what's hard, about what's challenging me, about what's good, about what I want, what I desire. As long as I am really seeking him, those first, in that way of humility, and then secondly with him as my father, there's nothing I can't talk about with him. And it's so important that we're really honest with him because many of us have not had, because of, because of brokenness, because of woundedness, we often project our own experiences of our parents or other authority figures onto God. And therefore we think, well, if this person did that to me, maybe God's going to do the same. So I'm going to pray in this certain way because I because, you know, I don't know if God is going to really want to give me, you know, this good thing or whether he's going to ask something really hard of me that I don't, I can't handle or whatever it might be. Um, you know, this sense that, uh, this sense that God is loving Father is so integral to giving us a freedom and authenticity. And then in that freedom we have this third thing, courage, to step out of the boat and walk on water when we pray, to really say to the Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the one who is coming into the world, like Martha did. I believe. I believe. And then what did Jesus do? He went and raised Lazarus from the dead. If you have faith like a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be up and be rooted, be planted in the sea and it will be done. So this incredible thing that the Lord asks us of us, which is courage. And it's not, it's not always easy to have courage. Not just because we've been let down by other people or by ourselves, but because it can be very, um, because it's hard to trust someone you don't know. And that's why the, the stories of Jesus in the Gospels are so important because his disciples walked with him for those three years. They saw his power. They saw him raise people from the dead. They saw him heal. They saw him forgive. They saw him love. They saw him pour out love on the broken. They saw him do all these things. And I was very, very blessed um, just over a year ago to be in France and I got to visit the tomb of St Mary Magdalene in France. She, she and her sister Martha and Lazarus all travelled to the south of France after Christ's resurrection and ascension and Lazarus became the first bishop of this place in southern France and she lived in a cave not far from there and she would spend her mornings in prayer and in the afternoon she would come down and she would evangelise. And so I was praying by the tomb of Mary Magdalene. I was, it was such a such a blessed experience and they have adoration not perpetual adoration but they have adoration for a long time every day there so I could pray at her tomb and then begin adoration and I was praying about Mary Magdalene like why why did you have that that courage that conviction to proclaim to to pray you know so fervently and so faithfully to live so powerfully and I was so I was really praying and I was sort of asking Mary Magdalene for a sign and later in adoration I got this sense that she walked with Christ. He wasn't 
It wasn't like a possibility that Christ had done these things, or it wasn't a concept, or it wasn't like, oh, she'd heard one or two stories, and so it sounded like she could follow that. She had walked with him. She'd seen all these things happen. And that's when I think, as powerfully as I've ever realised, the importance of knowing the Gospels, knowing Christ in the Gospels, and being present with him in adoration. So those, those two things, knowing what had happened, really knowing his life inside out as best as we can from the Gospels, and being in his presence and adoration, those two things came together and I realised that's the source, that was the source of their courage, because they knew him, and therefore they believed, they could see. And so we have to really soak ourselves in the life of Christ. So that's almost like we are walking beside him. When we encounter that person, it's like, you know, if you've got a friend who um, maybe uh, has an attribute or a quality that you would really like to have, um, and you spend a lot of time with them, so you know how they deal with the situation that maybe would challenge you or whatever it might be. And then one day, you know, that friend moves away and you're by yourself, but you come into that situation again and you think to yourself, oh, what would Angie do? And because you've spent so much time with Angie, you know, oh, okay, Angie would approach it this way. You know, it's almost like second nature because you've seen that. That's how we need to be with Christ through the Gospels, to really know the, like, the way that he lived, the way that he was, a real knowing relationship with him. And to know that this courage, this courage which comes from faith, it's a gift. It's given to us by God, but Jesus says, ask, ask and you will receive. So the disciples did, they said, Lord, increase our faith. And this can be our prayer too, increase our faith, increase my courage, help me pray more boldly. You know, if, we, if it's hard to pray boldly, pray to pray more boldly. If it's hard to pray full stop, pray to pray. Um, and trusting, trusting that even when our prayer may not be answered, we may not even be able to see the answer in our lifetime. Trusting that God is still almighty, fatherly, loving, caring and knowing. I have... Um, there are you know, so many incredible stories about the way that God uses faith, God uses courage. I want to share one that I heard from an elderly priest. He was a redemptor. He, I, I don't know, maybe he's still alive. I met him two years ago and he was quite elderly. He was a redemptorist. And many, many years ago, decades ago, he was doing a mission, a parish mission, uh, somewhere in New South Wales. I think it was Wollongong, but somewhere not in Sydney, but not too far from Sydney. Anyway, so he was in this mission... And he was in the sacristy of the church and a woman, a parishioner, came rushing in and she said, Father, he'd never met her before, but he said he could tell she was a good woman. Father, please come. My next door neighbour is about to hop on a train to Sydney and have an abortion. She just said this to him like this. So he, all he could do was grab his breviary and run with this woman and they ran down the street. She lived quite close to the church and they walked into this neighbour's kitchen. They just walked straight in and... The, the neighbour, the woman who was about to leave, walked in carrying her bag. And this priest said, he was very, very gentle, he said, look, I know that you, we, we don't want to, you know, you don't have much time. 
implying, you know, she wanted to go catch a train. He said, I know you don't have much time, but maybe we'll just say a prayer for you. And he pulled out of his bravery a little holy card of Our Lady of Perpetual Help. And he just put it there on the table and he started the Hail Mary. And he prayed the first half of the Hail Mary. And then this woman who was about to leave, she joined in. She started on Holy Mary, Mother God, and then she just broke down crying and said, I can't do it, I can't go, I can't go. With one Hail Mary, with one Hail Mary, seven years later he was back in that parish doing another mission, or maybe supply at work, but he was back in this parish and a woman came up to him after Mass and it had been First Holy Communion that day and she had her daughter with her and she said, Father, this is my daughter. You know, she just received Holy Communion from me today. And he said, okay. She said, you don't remember me, do you? And he looked at her and she said, Our Lady of Perpetual Help. And that was the woman and that was her daughter. Her daughter ended up joining a religious order. She became a sister. And she had, this, the priest said, she had in her cell that prayer card, Our Lady of Perpetual Help. And her mother lived to see that daughter's 25th profession, anniversary of profession with one Hail Mary. So pray with courage, pray in faith. We never know what the smallest of our prayers will do. I remember um, after uh, my first year in Sydney, the MacArthur and conversion, I was very, I was so happy to be alive, basically. And, um, I, you know, it was very, there was a lot of excitement in my life. And I remember one day, I was babysitting these crazy children um, and we went to the park and they were just being crazy, crazy. And this, this woman came to the park. I don't remember if she had a child with her or not, but I just remember um, her being there and just chatting very briefly. And uh, I don't know anything about her, but I remember like as she walked away, I remember just with so much joy in my heart saying, Lord, I really pray that she's going to be in heaven one day. And then I remember this feeling coming over me like, Oh my goodness, all these people that are going to, like, when we, we don't, we're not going to know what's going to happen until we get to heaven. And then how exciting, how exciting that suddenly we're going to be in heaven and we're going to see all these people that are the fruit of God giving us the gift of prayer. And, you know, there's something very childlike in that, true. true sorry, true, it's very true, that's very childlike. And it makes me think of one of those children. And the reason I, yeah, I brought that up because I was with these crazy kids and so I prayed that prayer and I realised what a grace it was to feel like so trusting that just that little prayer, God's going to take care of that person. And then these little kids were telling me the story, I don't remember, it was some sailor in the 16th century and he wasn't, I don't know why they had a book about him, he wasn't a saint or anything, he did all these terrible things. Um, but they had this history book about him and they were reading it and Allegra, who um, is eight, she got to the end, she was, oh, no, she, I was reading it to them and I said, and such and such died on the such and such, 16 such and such, you know, and I closed the book and Allegra went, and he went to hell. <laughs> and I went, I said, Allegra, what? She's like, oh, he's so bad, he did so many bad things. And I said, oh no, but you can't say that. And she's like, you missed the first seven chapters. And I, and I was like, yes, but we can't, we can't say that, you know. And I said, well, but we could, we could say a prayer for him. She was like, okay. And so she you know, made the sign of the cross and she said this prayer and she was just so definite, you know. She was like, and you, Lord Jesus, are going to take him to heaven and he's going to be a saint. And it was so definite. And she finished that prayer and she went, 
And I was like, God is nodding at her. God is nodding at her. So beautiful. Her certainty, well, firstly, her sanity if he's in hell, but that's, you know, <laughs> that's children for you, you know. But then her certainty, her sanity that she could pray, she could pray, and that was it, you know. He, he was there, and I thought, that's the, gift of, that's the gift of childlikeness. It reminds me, one more story of a, a sister I know from the Emmanuel community who told me about a little boy she knew, and he, he heard about another friend who died, and he prayed a Hail Mary and finished the Hail Mary and went, now she's saved. Just like that. You know, that courage of a child and the way that the father loves to answer the prayers of children. Not just little Allegra, not just that boy, but us. Us, when we pray like children. So, humility, knowing that God is our father, courage, and then real relationship. A real relationship that's meaty, that's got variety, that breathes in a sense, you know, that, that is not stagnant, you know, has, has a breath of life coming in and coming out of it, that has, I hate to use a food analogy, but it's, you know, like there's the meat and the potatoes and the vegetables, but there's also the ice cream and the jelly on top and there's, like, there's all these different things. There's a true, it's a diet, our, our spiritual diet. Prayer is our spiritual diet. So it means, it means daily prayer and it also means a variety of prayer. And it doesn't mean that we don't have a routine. It doesn't mean that we don't have a routine. But I guess that prayer never becomes routine. That we're always, you know, we're always looking for new and exciting ways to grow with the Lord. And it's... Um, there's this, uh, I guess, term you could use. You might call it... Um, I think if you think about, say, a couple that are in love and the way that they like to show their love to each other, they like to be spontaneous, you know, and, and thoughtful. And God likes to be like that with us too. You know, we see it. Sometimes we live a time in our life, sometimes we live a time in our life where we feel nothing and it's hard and it's dry and faithfulness is a grace. And other times we feel like God is winking at us, you know. He's giving us little treats, little treasures, and I really sense, and this is not, this is definitely not the teaching of the church, it's not anyone's, it's not expert, it's just what I get in my heart sometimes, is that God wants me to do that back. You know, he wants me to blow little kisses at him in whatever little way I can, to find little ways that I can say, thanks, Dad, you know, <laughs> thank you, Lord. You know, little spontaneous kisses between us and the Lord, however that might be. And so I suppose, yeah, not, not being afraid to, to live it like a real relationship, a real relationship where it needs time and it needs variety and it needs authenticity. And if I had, you know, a friend who all I ever did with them was go to the movies together, like that was all we ever did. We, every Tuesday night, because it's cheap night, we just go to the movies two hours, and that was it. They'd be my movie friend, right? So if the only thing I ever do with the Lord is ask him for the things that I think I might need, he becomes my God, I'm asking you for these things that I need, God. 
not just the I want to praise you for your own sake, God, or I want to sit in your presence, God, or I need you to really heal me in this way, God, or it's hard for me to love. Show me how to love, God. So the Lord, he wants to really, he wants to mix it up. And this year, last year, it's hard being in January, last year I went home to the family farm for over two months and it was the first extended period of time that I hadn't been able to go to daily mass or adoration and all these different things. I've been very, very spoilt because of um, studying these last two years and just the way that my life has been. It's been this you know, blessing of a routine with prayer and everything and that's really been a gift from the Lord. But all of a sudden, I was 50 kilometres from the Blessed Sacrament and I was like, oh my goodness. And you know, all of a sudden, I wasn't in community anymore. You know, all these different things, you know? My, my community was obviously only a prayer and a phone call away, but it's very different than when you're living with someone. And it was the greatest gift because God forced me to shake things up. God forced me to, to, to pray in different ways, to pray in new ways, to step out, to hear his voice anew. And that was his gift to me, his gift to me. So I don't know, wherever you're at, like where, if you're at a place where you're like, well, I've actually just got to really get into a routine, you know, that, that's great. If you're at a place where you're like, you know what, my routine is driving me crazy, <laughs> then, then shake it up. But just as long as it's always about living a real relationship, a breathing relationship, a relationship with a person, with the person of Jesus Christ, in the same way that you would live a relationship with anyone else, but so much more so. So I've talked about humility, God as Father, courage, that, that breathing relationship, that daily prayer life, that variety. And number five is sort of... Um, I guess it's sort of like the, the potatoes, if we're going to talk about it, food analogy. And it's something that we can perhaps sometimes forget to think about, um, or maybe none of you do. I don't, I don't know. Anyway, it's, um, it's praying for other people. It's interceding for people. And I heard a sister say once that for her, contemplative prayer was not possible without intercessory prayer because... It's like in intercessory prayer, we give. We really empty our hearts. We, we, we do. We try, to, we try as much as we can to pour out our hearts in the way that Christ poured out himself for us. We try to pour out ourselves for others and for the world. And then having done that, we can receive. So I suppose that's why she saw that her contemplative prayer was always a fruit of her intercessory prayer. And it's the words of St. Paul as well. If you have not love, you're a clanging bell. So I think sometimes it's the same way. It can be the same way in my prayer life. If my prayer life is, is all about me, um, I'm called to love my neighbour. I'm called to pray for my neighbour. And in whatever way that the Lord puts that on our hearts, there are so many different ways. It might be always praying for someone whenever we think of them, just offering up a little 
Jesus, I trust in you. It might be having a list of people that we want to pray for every day or every week or every month. You know, it might be there are so many ways that you find your own way to, to intercede, to pray for others. But we, it's, it's so true that when we give, we receive. It's a blessing. It's such a, such a blessing. But I really, I, I want to um, encourage you and challenge you that if, if interceding for others, if praying for others is not yet part of your prayer life, that it is one of the greatest gifts that God is waiting to give you. Um, and I know as the fruit, as the fruit of Sister Naomi and my brother's prayers, I know what a grace it is to have someone to pray for me. And um, this is a, uh, a story that I've shared before, and so some of you have heard this, but it always, it always really humbles me. And so I want to share it with you. And it was that a person in my life, someone I loved very much, was living a very difficult situation. And I knew they needed a lot of prayer, and there was nothing I could do but pray because I was on the other side of the world. So I was like, okay, I'm going to really pray for this situation. So I was praying lots for it, and then I was like, I need to pray more. So I, did, I got a novena together. I got all these people that I was friends with, I was living with, to pray this novena. And it came to an end, and I, I felt in my heart, it still needs more prayer. It was really serious. I mean, it was a sort of situation, if it went the wrong way, uh, like calamity, you know? So I was like, oh, okay, I really have to pray for this situation. And someone told me about a novena that they had prayed for their brother on the hour for nine hours. And I thought, oh, that's a great idea. I'll pray an, an, a novena on the hour, but not just for nine hours, for every hour. You know, I was like, that's a great idea. You know. Anyway, um, so I came up with this little plan and I was like, at 10 minutes to the hour, that's going to be the time, every hour, da, da, da. And I tried. For two days, I tried so hard, but I would never notice the time. I'd forget about it. Just, it just wasn't working. And finally, after the end of that two days, I said to the Lord, Lord, if you want me to pray this way, I ask for the grace. And he gave that grace, and it was extraordinary. Like, I would have dreams where I'd see the hour, 10 to the hour. Every hour, someone would say to me, what time, what's the time? Just out of the blue, it would be 10 to the hour. And this went on until and after that situation was resolved, but in the most remarkable way, and I, that's how I knew it was from the Lord, because I had to ask him for that grace to pray that way. Because prayer is not me. It's not what I can do. It's not my initiative. It's not my strength. It's not like, it's, it's not my grace. The grace doesn't come from me. It comes from the Lord. So I really encourage you to be bold when praying for people and to pray for people, but to always ask the Lord for that grace to pray for people, to know that it's coming from him. And to also know that the most powerful weapon we have is prayer. And so as much as we're called to pray for others, we're also called to pray with others. And it's amazing, and I do it, how easy it is to be you know, a Christian, to believe that God loves me, to believe that he, he can do anything, and to get talk about a situation and be like, oh, <laughs> Like someone will tell me about a really bad situation and I'm just like, yeah. And then I'm like, wait a minute, we could be praying for this right now. You know, we both believe, um, we've got faith. We could right now surrender this situation and ask, ask the Lord to work in that. Um, and so as much as, 
yeah, as much as we are called to pray for others, we're really called to pray with others too. And I remember Bishop Joe Grech speaking, I think it was at the first scene, the first Sydney Congress embracing the new evangelization. He was talking about prayer and how to have that courage to say to someone, would you like me to pray with you? You know, that, that amongst our brothers and sisters in Christ, we can really step out and say to each other, shall we say a prayer for this? And I remember Bishop Joe and just how fully sure he was that God wanted to work through and in us. That he just said, just ask and then just pray together. And that we have this extraordinary gift, this extraordinary grace that God wants to give us, of the Holy Spirit working through us as members of his body, his hands and his feet. And that we can, we can listen to him and to what he's saying in each other's lives. We can pray for those areas that need prayer. And we can give that over to the Lord and to the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us, not because of who we are, but because of the gift. The gift of a God who knows us and loves us and knows what each person needs and loves them in that need. That's why we pray with each other. That's why we ask the Lord to guide us, to lead us, to give us only his words, because it's not about what, what we get. It's not about, our, it's not about us. It's his words, his love, his knowledge poured out. Most of the time, I mean, when, when you pray with someone, you're barely scratching the surface because we can't know them. We can't read someone's mind. Not only the Lord knows, but he wants to work. He wants to work. He wants to use us in humility. He wants to use us. So that's really all I wanted to say about prayer. Thank you all very much. That was Jess Leach with Approaching Prayer. For more from the Immaculata Mission School, visit cradio.org.au.